I, I did. Uh, there's so much to say. We're talking about marriage and divorce. Um, because Not because I thought, hey, this would be a good idea. I do think this is a good idea. But we're just going through the Gospel of Mark, verse by verse. And we're now in chapter 10, where Jesus is going to teach his disciples about marriage and divorce. And so that's why we're talking about it today. This could be, obviously, a like six-part sermon series. And so my tendency is to want to tell you everything that you need to hear from God's Word about marriage and divorce. And we simply can't do that, especially since we can't use the potties um, for the rest of the day. So, so I'm going to uh, not answer every question that you might have. We're not going to be able to look at everything, but here's the truth. We live in a world that's really pretty confused when it comes to marriage and divorce. And so, because we live in a world where we're pretty confused and, and hurting in many ways, we need to hear what God has to say about marriage and and divorce, and thankfully, he's not silent on it. This message really is for everybody. Um, you might feel like, well, this is a message on marriage and divorce, and I'm widowed, or I'm, I'm single, or I am, uh, I am married, or I am divorced, or I'm just a kid, or I'm, like, I'm in sixth grade. I'm not really thinking about this a lot at this point. Um, but I really think, um, because God's Word is sufficient, and it's good for us, that, that all of us need to hear wherever we're at in life, a message that tells us the truth about marriage and divorce, especially in a culture where we hear so many messages. We hear messages, we've got our own understanding of marriage and divorce just from our own life experience. We hear messages in the media, we hear messages in the music that we listen to, we hear messages when we watch Disney movies, we hear messages all over the place about marriage and divorce and love and those kinds of things. But what we most need to hear this morning is what God has to say about marriage and divorce. And so, if you would open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, we're going to be in Mark 10, 1 through 12 this morning. And if you're able to, let's stand as we read God's Word together. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Here is God's Word. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. You can be seated. If you have your bulletin, you can, uh, inside, there's a little insert um, that has a spot for you to take sermon notes, if that's helpful for you to follow along, especially because you lost your hour of sleep and you're maybe a little bit tired, maybe writing something, and maybe you like, kind of have the, one of those lines that starts to like drift off after a while as you start to drift off. But I hope that, um, that, we don't, that we can be engaged for the next half hour or so as we hear what God has to say and go through this, this passage in a little more depth. 
There's uh, three points that I'm going to be making this morning. Those are outlined in the bulletin. Uh, Some of your life groups are done meeting, others are not. But either way, uh, you'll notice that I kept putting questions in there that I hope will be a guide for application. So whether you go home and you work through this on your own, whether you work through it maybe with your spouse, whether you work through it with your family and your kids, whether you work through it with a friend, whatever it is, I want us to not just be people who hear the Word of God and walk away, have lunch, and be done with it, um, but I want us to be people that hear the Word of God and seek to apply it to our lives. And so uh, I put that guide there uh, for that purpose. We're going to start by talking about the context um, of marriage and divorce at the time that this was written, along with our own context. We're going to look at verses 1 to 5 first. If you look at verse 1, just kind of transitioning from where we were in chapter 9 to now chapter 10, it says, And he left there, went to the region of Judea, and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. Jesus is journeying with his disciples, and now really there is that turning point, you remember, in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8, when Peter confessed, Jesus, you are the Christ. And from that point on, everything starts to turn towards Jesus' death and resurrection. He's already predicted it once in chapter 8, once in chapter 9. He's going to do it again later in chapter 10. And even physically, Jesus and the disciples are now heading towards Jerusalem. Crowd gathers to Jesus and he teaches the crowd. He's wanting to teach people things that they need to know. His time now on earth is limited. And somehow Jesus perceives that a teaching on marriage and divorce is necessary. And it's brought about by a question, by a testing kind of question from the Pharisees. Did you see verse 2? It says, And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife. Now the obvious answer to that question for Jesus is yes, it's lawful. They would they would be referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24, 1 to 4, and Jesus is going to point them back to that here in a moment. But but there really wouldn't have been anybody in that context at that time, any Jewish person, either conservative or liberal, who would say that it's never okay to divorce. There really wouldn't have been any Jewish person that would have said that. The thing that they would have been disputing about is the reason for divorce. What is an acceptable reason for divorce? Uh, Now, now in Mark's Gospel, remember that Mark always kind of gives the abbreviated version of everything. If he can assume that people are thinking something, he just won't say it. But in in Matthew's Gospel, in this passage, Matthew gives kind of the fuller understanding of what Jesus is saying, their question more fully was this, was, is it lawful to divorce for any reason? Okay, that was the dispute that was going on in this day. Those, there were some that would kind of just say, and the Pharisees were among this group, that would say it's relatively easy to divorce, that it is lawful to divorce for really any reason. Now, in that day, the, the wife couldn't initiate it, it had to be a husband-initiated divorce, but the, the husband could look upon his wife and really, for almost any reason, just say, I'm done with this. She didn't make dinner well enough. I'm done with this. That was kind of the, the culture at the time. But then there was this other group of people that would say, no, divorce ought not to be that easy and that common. That, that they would have maybe one exception. The only time that divorce was acceptable is when, when there was adultery that was committed in the relationship. And so 
they're trying to trap Jesus by making him take a side. Now, if Jesus would come down, down hard and say, divorce is never acceptable, word probably would have gotten to Herod. And you remember what happened to John the Baptist when he confronted Herod about his sin. His head eventually, he was put in prison and his head eventually got taken off. And so they're testing Jesus here with this question in verse 2. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And then we see Jesus' answer. Jesus answers with a question in verse 3. He answered them, What did Moses command you? He's saying, well, what's your law? What did God's word say? And they're thinking again of Deuteronomy chapter 24. And they said, answered it rightly. They got the question, they got the answer right. They said in verse 4, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. The divorce was, was not what God had intended, but it was happening. And in order to protect the women that were involved in divorce, God had had given to Moses this law saying, here's how it ought to be done. He allowed men to write a certificate of divorce, but they had to go through this process that was a process intended to protect the women um, who were involved in the divorce. The Pharisees at this time had, had really come to take this passage in a wrong way in Deuteronomy, and their understanding was that really divorce is just okay. It's just the way things go sometimes, right? And kind of a shrugging your shoulders kind of attitude at divorce. But Jesus has the authority to say why God said something. That's the kind of authority that Jesus says. He can say, this is why God had Moses share this law. And so, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Jesus takes what God said and says, and Jesus said to them, this is verse 5 here in Mark chapter 10, And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Jesus has that kind of authority that he can say, Listen, the reason that God allowed, had this, 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 this kind of concession for how you go about divorce, is because divorce was happening. It was because of the hardness of your heart. And then Jesus is going to do something that's very important. What was happening here is the people were so focused on what was allowable that they weren't at all concerned with what was desirable. Let me say that again. The people were so focused in this day on what was allowable that they weren't really thinking much of what was desirable. They weren't thinking of God's intention. They were just thinking about, well, what happens if it doesn't work out? That was their main focus. Illustration to help us understand this as we kind of transition into verse 6. Um, I, I've mentioned before that the basketball team that I played on in high school was not very good. My senior year, we literally lost every single game that we played in. And for a while, it hurt. But after a while, you just kind of get used to it. And it's kind of funny. And so one thing that we would often do, um, we would have uh, our, on our bus rides home from an away game, we were just having a good time. And our coach got upset with us. Because we were supposed to be sad about losing, right? And so, so we ought to have been sad, but we were just kind of having a good time. So then he in, initiated this rule that if we lose, after some games, if we lost the game, the bus ride home was totally silent, right? So we had to be sad about the fact that we lost. Now, put yourself in the shoes of, of my coach. Wouldn't you have been a little bit upset if, say, it's like the first quarter of the game, Okay? 
first quarter of the game, we're already losing by like six or something like that. Coach calls a timeout, and what if during that timeout, rather than talking about the game, we come up to the coach and we're like, hey coach, if we lose tonight, do we have to be quiet in the bus ride on the way home? You'd be upset as the coach. You'd be like, hold on, we got a game going on. Let's not talk so much about what might happen if we happen to lose. I want to tell you about this game that we're in the middle of right now. Let, let's, let's play this game with all the ability that we have. Let, let's work this out. We can still win this thing, right? That would have been what I would have said as a coach, and that's really essentially what Jesus is doing here. As these Pharisees are coming up to him, and they're really trying, their big question is, what's allowable? What can we get away with? What, what's kind of the guidelines if this doesn't work out? And Jesus says, ho, 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 hold on a second. I want to teach you, I want to take you back and teach you about marriage first, which is what he's going to do starting in verse 6. Now, before we get to verse 6, I just want to point out our context compared to their context. They were living in a time where people were pretty confused about marriage and in a time where divorce was unfortunately pretty easy and pretty common. That doesn't sound much unlike the time and the context that we're living in. I don't think there's probably many people in here. We've got a number of people in here that have experienced divorce personally. And then also a number of people who have, I can't, I can't imagine that anybody's been unaffected by divorce in your family in some way, right? So, so we understand this culture that they're living in at this time. We need to hear Jesus' message on marriage. We are a we are a culture confused about marriage, right? And that's evidenced by the fact that now in 17 states, a union of a man and a man is called marriage, and a union of a woman and a woman is called marriage. Okay? So obviously, we're pretty confused about the meaning of marriage in our culture. We're confused also about divorce in our culture. Unfortunately, it remains relatively easy and quite common. And so... Um, brought some stuff that, that I want to just try to kind of do two different illustrations at some point. You've probably been at a wedding, and most of the weddings I've had a, the privilege as a pastor to probably do, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15 weddings or something like that. And at every wedding that I've done except for one, they've had this, this thing where they come and they light the unity candle. And so you come in, and, and probably even before the wedding ceremony starts, you've got two candles that are lit, Right? And so these two candles um, are lit representing two individuals. You've got one over here and another over here, and they're two separate individuals. And then, and then there's this symbolism that comes as, as these two come, and they each take, now I'm just one person, but the bride would take one candle and the groom would take another, and they would put these two candles together. And together, they would light up this candle in the center, which is called the unity candle. And then... They blow out these candles, right? And so, so we've seen that happen before. Um, the problem, though, um, and I think this is a great, this is a great picture, and that's why, that's why it's been done at many weddings for, for many years. It's a great symbol and a great picture. It's the wedding symbol that we use, one of the symbols we used at our own wedding. But the understanding, just to help you understand the culture at this time, and even the culture in our day, that there is this understanding at this time that divorce was relatively easy. And watch, watch what I can do here. I can go ahead and I can use this flame here and I can relight these two. And we can, divorce really kind of looks like that. It looks like 
really pretty simple to go from this one flesh union back to two individuals again. This one is, is puffed out, and, and that's kind of the understanding that a lot of people would have had in this day, that that's, that's what happens with divorce. You can just kind of start back where we were at the beginning. Um, but anybody that's been through a divorce knows that it's not that simple. There's, there's all sorts of pain and hurt, and it's not just like a, well, you just quick blow this one out, and you're back to square one. That's not at all the way that it works. So I'm going to blow these out for safety purposes. There's no illustration in that. We just don't want to start a building on fire. Um, now, we don't know. I mean, it's hard to pin down the actual statistics statistics all over the place about how many marriages um, you know, currently are ending in divorce in our culture, but it's a high number, right? It's whatever that number is, it's, it's high, um, which is why most people in here have been affected by divorce in some way. And so it's very clear to us that we need to hear Jesus' teaching on marriage. The question that people are asking, maybe even in our day, is a, is a question of what's allowable? When is divorce possible? When is divorce desirable? When the question, a better question to ask would be, what's marriage all about? What's your design? What's your intent for marriage, God? And that's exactly what Jesus does, starting in verse 6. Go ahead and look at verse 6. Jesus just kind of shifts away from this discussion about divorce, and he takes them all the way back to the beginning. Now, just a note as we look at verses 6 and 7, when we're trying to, to, to speak to our culture or speak to people about what marriage means, Jesus gives us a very good example here. You know what Jesus does? He quotes a lot of Scripture. That's a great way for us to help people have a, a biblical understanding of marriage. That's to go back to Scripture and quote it a lot, which is what Jesus does himself here in Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 6. In Mark chapter 10, verse 6, Jesus says this. He says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He's quoting Genesis 1.27. He's saying, listen, let me take you back. You're wondering about when it's okay to get a divorce. Let me just take you all the way back to the beginning where there was just God and He made male and then He made female. That's Genesis 1.27. And then look at the next verse. He's going to quote more Bible, this time Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Okay? Verse 8 then, he continues, and the two shall become one flesh. So they, know they are no longer two, but one flesh. See, right at the beginning of the Bible, God makes his intentions known. He creates male and female. He had created male and there was no suitable helper for him. And so God then creates female and he orchestrates the, the first marriage, putting man and woman together and says, this is the pattern. This is the way marriage ought to be. Marriage is this one flesh union of man and woman together. That's what it ought to be. That's what we see Jesus quoting from Genesis here in verses 6 to 8. Anything outside of a commitment of one man and one woman to each other in marriage, anything outside of that is outside of God's will. And so this, we had a discussion and, and spent some time studying and praying together as elders a few months back just because of the culture we live in that is pretty confused about what marriage is. So we had to come up with a, a wedding policy. Um, 
And so if you're interested in checking that out, it's uh, back on the table. You can just grab a copy of that um, on your way out. But it's our, our effort to recognize that we want to do ministry to all sorts of different people. But we also want to be obedient to God's Word when it comes to doing a wedding and saying this is what marriage is. And so, so that's back there if you'd like to check that out. Then we get to verse 9. Verse 9 Jesus' conclusion after talking, they're asking about divorce. Jesus takes them and tells them about what marriage is. And in verse 9, we have this. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Okay? The other wedding that didn't do the unity candle that I went to, did this thing. Maybe you've been at a wedding that's done this, or maybe you did it at yours. Um, unity sand. Interesting, different kind of way of doing it, but they've got two different colors of sand, right? In two different bottles, you've got, you've got blue uh, representing the guy and, and pink representing the girl. Or, you know, they'll use their wedding colors or whatever. But two different colors because you've got two different individuals, right? You've got, you've got a man and a woman. Um, and they're going to come together as one. And so, so, again, they'd be doing this together, and I, I'm doing this alone. Um, but... You know, the guy would maybe pour a little bit of the blue in there, and then, and then she would stand on the other side and pour in a little bit of the pink. And then they would keep going like that. And um, Okay, there we go. Sorry, this is taking a while. Um, imagine some beautiful music being played in the background and um, stuff. Okay. More blue. And... I got to totally empty it, otherwise the illustration doesn't work. Um, there we go. Oops, there it goes. Um, so we've got blue. Oh, we're full. Uh, I didn't. I didn't plan for that. Um, okay, pretend there's nothing left in this one. Um, and see, that's pretty cool, isn't it? And then they would take this, and they they would they would put this maybe on their fireplace mantle or something like that in their house, and it's this symbol of of something that was two, and now there's just one bottle. You discard those bottles. And now if I were to try and separate, they're like, oh no, this isn't going to work. Let's get the pink back in the pink bottle and the blue back in the blue bottle. That would be much more challenging to do than it would be with the unity candle kind of thing, right? That it's going to be hard for me to separate these grains of sand once they've been put together in this one flesh union, right? And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here in verse 9, is he's saying, listen, What God has joined together, let man not separate. God's intention for marriage is not just that it be one man and one woman, but that it be one man and one woman for all of their lives. God's intention for marriage is not divorce. God's intention for marriage is that it be a lifelong commitment of a husband and a wife to one another. It's God's intention. What God has joined together, Jesus says... Let man not separate. God's the one who put it together, right? And so he says, who are we to take it apart? It's like when when our kids are playing Legos. If Isaiah's building a tower with his Legos, and Mariah wants to come and knock over his tower, we won't let her do that, right? Isaiah, she can't knock over your tower. You made the tower, right? And so... And so, so, so we can't do that. So if Mariah wants to knock over a tower, she can go make her own tower, but she can't knock over a tower that somebody else made. And God's saying, marriage is something that I'm putting together. Who are you to say, oh, we're done with it. We just can't work on it. We can't work things out anymore. It's time to be, it's time to be done. 
What God has joined together, let man not separate, Jesus says. But the reality is, in the time of the Old Testament when Moses wrote, in the time of Jesus when he was speaking, and in our day, the reality in each of those situations is that divorce is reality. Right? Divorce is is reality. Divorce happens. Is Jesus saying that divorce and remarriage are never allowable? Is that what Jesus is saying here? That divorce and remarriage are never under any circumstances allowable. What is Jesus saying about divorce? He's teaching certainly something very clearly about marriage, but what's he saying about divorce? Let's look at verses 10 to 12. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, that maybe doesn't totally answer our question, does it? If our question is, so is divorce and remarriage ever allowable? Jesus is saying here in this passage that whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery adultery against her. Okay? Now, one thing, when, when we have really tough questions and we're trying to f- get to the bottom of, okay, so what does Scripture actually say? We want to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. We need to recognize that, that we don't learn everything we need to know about marriage and divorce and remarriage in one passage. That there's a lot of other passages. We need to have Scripture help us to interpret other Scripture. Now, this is one of the times when I'd like to spend a lot of time, but we just don't have a lot of time. Um, And so, just very quickly, if you looked at Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, it'd be good to look at everything else around there, but Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, you could also look at Matthew chapter 5, but we're going to go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. This is Jesus teaching the same thing, but again, Mark abbreviates things often, where Matthew kind of gives the the fuller picture. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Okay? So Jesus enters into the equation here in Matthew chapter 19, this exception. That is sexual immorality. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the other one, the other exception, I guess, that we see clearly in Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I would love, again, there's a lot of stuff uh, for single people here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, a lot of stuff for, for people that are married and having a tough time in their marriage in verses 10 to 12 especially. But I want us to just look at verse 15. Paul writes, For how do you know Oops, sorry. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. The context there, he's talking about a marriage between one person who is a believer and another who is not. If the one who is a non-believer deserts or leaves the one who is a believer, they're no longer enslaved. They're they're, they're set free from that, that bond of marriage uh, that God had joined together, it seems, according to 1 Corinthians 7.15. So that's the two exceptions that we see clearly laid out in Scripture. Adultery, sexual immorality, and desertion by an unbelieving spouse. But the reality, even if, even if divorce occurs because of one of those maybe biblically acceptable 
kinds of reasons. The reality is this, that divorce hurts. Divorce hurts the people involved in the time leading up to it, the time going through it, the time after it. It hurts the children uh, that might be affected by it. Even if you are an adult child of parents who got divorced, you still feel the hurt and the pain of your parents' divorce, even as an adult. So the reality is that divorce hurts. Divorce is not God's intention. seems to be allowed in certain cases. You know, one that, that, that we kind of talk about um, that doesn't seem very clear in Scripture, but certainly I would just, um, if you are in a marriage in which there is abuse taking place, um, you need to do whatever you can to protect yourself and your children. Um, and so, so, so separation certainly is necessary in that case um, as well. Now, 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 the Bible will never talk about, you'll never see Jesus talk about divorce in saying that, that, that you ought to divorce in this case. Divorce is never really encouraged. It seems to be allowed in a couple of cases, but never encouraged. Because divorce is not God's intention for marriage. What God joined together, let man not separate. So a couple of kind of application points to close things out. Um, for, for single or widowed people of all ages, this is, you know, maybe includes uh, children and youth as well. Um, just a couple of messages. What you can learn um, from this passage is, one, you can learn that uh, you need to expect marriage to be hard. It's not like it is in any book that you've read or any movie that you've watched. Marriage, the reality of marriage, the reason that divorce is allowed is because of the hardness of our hearts, because sin is real, because our sin is real, and, and, and because marriage is always two sinful people marrying one another, marriage is always going to be hard. The reality is you're never going to find the perfectly compatible person. So if you're waiting to get married, if you're like, if you know that God, God desires for you to be married and you desire to be married, and you're waiting to find the perfectly compatible person, you're not going to find the perfectly compatible person because both of you will be changing throughout your marriage anyway. And so if you at one time maybe feel compatible, you're going to be incompatible at some point. That's just the reality of sinful people getting married to each other. If you're somebody who is single and desires to get married, I'd encourage you to marry somebody who loves Jesus more than they love you. That means those of you that are, are interested in dating, that means, what's the purpose of dating somebody who doesn't date, love Jesus more than you? There's really not even a purpose in dating um, if that's not the, where they're at. And then also, just need to be sure, as, as single people longing for marriage, um, that we don't hold on to marriage as our hope. That our hope needs to be in Christ alone. He is sure. There are also single people here today who might desire to stay single. This is also an honorable thing. Again, we could have spent some time in 1 Corinthians 7 where, where singleness is seen by the Apostle Paul as a gift. There's, there's a message here for married people. Part of being a disciple is a call to endure hard things in marriage. If you're in it, you know it. It's a hard thing. So as you struggle in your marriage, would you seek to ease your struggle by looking for a way out? Or will you seek help? Would you remember that there is a promise that you made before each other, before witnesses, before God? Sometimes that's all you got. Sometimes when your heart and your feelings are saying, I want to throw in the towel. 
I can't do this. Any- I don't want to be done with this. We can't. We've been trying to work on it for so long, and I don't know that we can do it anymore. The only thing that you can come back to sometimes is the promise that you made. And to just say, I'm going to hold true to that promise. One of my, one of my favorite songs uh, is by uh, an artist named Andrew Peterson. Um, and in the course of that song, it's a song he wrote, I think, kind of to his wife on their 15-year anniversary, I think it was. And in that song, he speaks of it this way. And we're dancing, which sounds like fun, because that's what marriage is. Marriage is full of joy in the minefields. We're dancing in the minefields. We're sailing in the storm. This is harder than we dreamed. But I believe that's what the promise is for. It's good words. We're dancing in the minefields. This is good because we're dancing, but we're doing it in the minefields. We're sailing, and that's good, but we're doing it in the midst of a storm. And this is harder than we dreamed. We didn't know this is what we were signing up for, but I believe, he says, that's what the promise is for. We made this promise to one another, and that's going to be our anchor when stuff gets a bit crazy and rocky. The reason that marriage is so important is that, according to Ephesians chapter 5, marriage is intended to be an illustration of the gospel. That marriage is supposed to illustrate to a lost and dying world what Jesus' love for his church is like. That he, in spite of our unfaithfulness, continues to pursue us and continues to be faithful. He will keep his promise. He will return again for his bride. And so marriage is intended to point us to that. To point us to the self-sacrificing love of Jesus for his bride. Willing to lay down his life. Marriage doesn't work when our greatest concern is ourselves. If your concern in your marriage is that you get married so that, and you're in your marriage so that you will be satisfied and you will be made happy, that doesn't work. I like this quote um, from Tim Keller. He says this, You only discover your own happiness after each of you has put the happiness of your spouse ahead of your own. Some will ask, but if I put the happiness of my spouse ahead of my own needs, then what do I get out of it? The answer is, happiness. Right? That if your main concern, married people, is that your spouse would satisfy you, that you would receive love in exactly the way that you think you deserve to receive it, your marriage is going to be miserable because you will focus all your time at trying to change your spouse. But if you recognize that the greatest problem in your marriage is not your spouse, but it's your own tendency towards self-centeredness, and that instead of seeking your own self-satisfaction, you would seek to satisfy your spouse, seek that they would be happy, then what you get out of it is happiness. It's weird. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But it's true. And finally, a message for people who have experienced the pain of divorce. Sorry for the pain that you have felt and probably still feel in many ways. I don't understand that. I hope that, that you find this, this church to be a welcoming, loving, healing place as you go through the hurt and pain caused by divorce. I wish I could understand that better than I can, but having not experienced it myself, I, I, find, that, I find it hard to, to often relate, and so I'm sorry about that as your pastor, but one of the gifts that we have in the body of Christ is that we have each other. There are other people in this body who are going to understand 
what it's like to, to try and do the blended family thing. To, to try and just understand what it's like to go through life as a person who's been divorced. Our church, like, like is said of many churches, is not a museum for saints to be put on display. It's a hospital for sinners to come and find healing. We hope that, that, that in the pain and hurt that's been caused by divorce in your life, that you find the body of Christ to be that kind of place. You might have heard what, what we're looking at here and talking about divorce and, and when is divorce allowed. And you might be thinking, well, listen, I, I wonder, is my divorce allowable? The, the divorce that I experienced, is that even allowable? Is there a biblical reason for my divorce? And, and I'd just like you to know, I mean, some people would kind of put on this weight that I don't think needs to be put on, this, this kind of stain, this, this dirtiness upon divorced people, that, that, you're, that you're not allowed forgiveness or something like that, that's ridiculous. The blood of Christ shed on the cross is sufficient to cover all. All of our sin, all of our pain, all of our hurt. So all who are born again and have faith in Christ can be assured of this, that He is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as, as with many sins, there's going to be effects that will ripple throughout the rest of our lives here on earth. Effects of, of the divorce that we went through. But our hope is an eternal hope, and that is this. Romans 8, verse 1 says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are, you are fully freed from any penalty. so thankful that we have God's word to tell us the truth about things about marriage and divorce because we are confused about it and those that are involved in it know that it's hard our sin is a significant problem and it would be totally fair because of our sin for our God to turn his face away from us and to pour out his wrath on us because Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep because Jesus is the groom who will come back for his bride and desires that his bride be made pure. He is the one who lays down his life for us. And that's where our hope is. Our hope is that we have, we have knowledge of the one, Jesus, who has died that we might be set free. He will give us eternal life and, and we will never perish and no one can snatch us out of his hand. He is faithful so thankful for that. I'm going to just pray, um, and then we're going to sing, I think, a, an appropriate song. Uh, we're going to sing a song called, Lord, I Need You, kind of wherever you're at in life. Uh, very true, um, especially if you're, if you're enduring marriage, and marriage maybe going through a hard season in your marriage. We need to just cry out to God, Lord, I need you. Not, not like only when stuff gets bad, but every hour, I need you. Wherever I'm at right now, God, I need you seeking to be satisfied and content in the situation that you've put me in right now, God. Lord, I need you. We're going to sing that. But let's pray before we sing.